Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Let us pray. God, our creator, when you speak, there is light and life. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may listen to one another, speak the truth in love, and bear much fruit in the service of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, we're going to be starting chapter 4 of Romans. Now I'm going to... Um, fall back a little bit into uh, where we were last week because the end of three and the first of four kind of flow together and that points to me and sometimes the problem with chapter and verse is that sometimes I don't know how they decided when they put chapters and verses in how to number but sometimes the flow goes I don't think they should have split it there but I wasn't around to be asked, so I accept what they give us and we go with it. But the the latter part of chapter 3, verses 21 through all of 4, is kind of a section in Romans that Paul is talking about the saving righteousness of God. And the latter part that I want to read of chapter 3 deals with righteousness by faith for both Jews and Gentiles, and then moves into, in four, is Abraham as the father of Jews and Gentiles. I mean, that's um, sometimes kind of counter to how we may think, but he is, and that's what Paul is really working at explaining to us and walking through us. And so... um, What I'll do is, if you will, I'll read the last five verses of chapter 3, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And now as we move to... uh, Romans in chapter 4, if someone would be kind enough to read the first eight verses. I'll do that. Okay, thanks, John. What then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But the one who, without works, trusts him who justifies the ungodly, such faith is is reckoned as righteousness. So also David speaks of the blessedness of those to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord will not reckon sin. Thank you. 
Those last two verses come from Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Um, Which David wrote after Nathan had called him out about his sin with uh, Bathsheba. And he was in the depths of his, uh, his penitence. He wrote Psalm 32. And it, it, it's a, a psalm of penitence. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Appreciate you adding it because that's important. Um, Paul ended the last, or, you know, started there about boasting, um, you know, of works. Um, what then becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. Well, he starts here. You know, what shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. You know, he, he could sit and say, God, look at the laundry list of what I have been doing. I have done uh, this. You sent me to leave the land where I was born. I went with my father. He got halfway. When he died, I continued the journey. I've done this. I've done that. And so by doing that, you, God would be accepting us for what we had done. But that gets away from God as judge. Because one of the problems... I know sometimes people ask, well, you know, this person did all these works and da-da-da-da-da, you know, aren't they going to be? But I got to thinking, in the prayers, what do we say for what we have done and what we have left undone? Not doing, omission, is just as much as the commissions of what we've done. And so if we do all these good things, the judge could say, yeah, but you didn't do this, 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 and this, and that laundry list is as long or longer than what we did. And so we can't boast. And so Paul is pointing out at the end of three and the first part of four here that we can't do it by works because we're able to boast and we can't come before God and brag. It's, we can't do that. Um, you know, and what Abraham did, though, was he trusted God. We go over to Genesis uh, chapter 15, and that is that whole section, chapter 15 in Genesis, is pretty much about the covenant. And God had been talking to Abraham, and Abraham had talked about um, you know, not having any children. He didn't want his heir to be his head of, kind of chief of staff, if you will, that ran the household. Um, but he wanted a heir that he and Sarah had had. And they were getting past the age. Sarah was already past the age of uh, childbirth, or what was considered a childbirth. So that's why he was concerned. And the Lord told, you know, Abraham that this man will not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought Abraham out and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to Abraham, 
so shall your offsprings be. And then the key. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him his righteousness. The only thing Abraham did was believed God. He had faith that what God told him would come about. And that was it. It wasn't what he had done previously because, you know, even previously after going and rescuing Lot on the way back near Salem, he worshipped and gave a tenth to the... Um, God of the Most High, which was Melchizedek. And they even talk about Christ being a priest of that lineage in a way that he was of the Most High. So Abraham had done things, but it was the thing that he trusted what God told him, that God counted him as righteousness. So that is where when it says in 3, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now counted, that word there can have different, uh, you know, the Greeks and different translations. I think what you read, did it say counted or reckoned? Before 3. Reckoned in this translation. Okay. 4 is... Um, the Greek word is most clearly translated as accounting. Okay. Like an accounting yeah. ledger. And then depending on, um, in the ESV, it's counted. Uh, I think in the NIV, it is credited. There are several different words that are translated, and another one can even be imputed. And credited... Um, an example that was given in one of the commentaries was like what a bank does. They credit your account. Now, basically, how is our account credited? By what we have earned. You know, either by active work, the wages, because here it says, now if one, now to the one who has worked, his wages are, are not counted as a gift, but is his due. I've earned it. My investments are really passive. I mean, I get them because I've earned it. But a gift. You know, and I got to thinking here with a bank crediting, my youngest grandson, uh, who's three and a half months old, mother for all the, for her great-grandkids, gives money, and it's for the child. It's for her great-grandchild, for the parents to open an account for he or she. It's not for the parents to go and get something for the grandchild, but it's a gift for the child. And so that bank account is seeded, from her standpoint, with a gift. It's nothing John did. John is kind of unique in that, as a three-and-a-half-month-old, he has money in that account from wages. He was in an ad when he was six days old, got paid, but the point is, his presence there was like earnings, and that got into there. So he's got money from two sources. One, that was a gift, and for the most part, that's what they'll be for the next several years, but it's a situation where he earned something by his presence and something he got just because he got it. Well, that's what 
is happening with Abraham. He got the gift of righteousness because he believed. It wasn't because he worked for it, because anything he'd work for, he'd be due it. And so Paul is pointing out that anything that we do that we could boast about because we've done, we'd really we'd do something for it. You know, whether it's getting paid or just getting, you know, way to go. Thanks for helping. Um, but here, that didn't happen with Paul. And another way it can be is imputed that um, the Protestant reformers really saw this counted, credited, um, reckoned as being imputed and that it has to do with God does not make us righteous, but he pronounces us righteous or imputes righteousness to us, which becomes more legal. So when we stand in judgment, our sins have been imputed, passed over. They're covered. And that is uh, kind of what, uh, I marked it correctly, um, Stevens in, um, or Stephen in Acts, when he is being stoned, is basically his last words were, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do not count this sin against them. He's asking God to cover over it. Well, that's what God has done for us. He's imputed, covered over, pronounced us righteous. And, you know, when judgment time comes, those whose sins are covered over, it's not that they haven't sinned. They will have sinned just like everybody else being judged, but their sins are covered over, so it's almost if you look out there, you'll see people that appear that they haven't sinned and those that have, and they appear they haven't sinned because they're covered with the blood of the Lamb. They're in white robes. So that's what is seen. And so the sins that David is talking about they are blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. They're looked over. There is, they are as if they didn't happen, but they did happen. And blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins. So there's a happiness to come from that that occurred in Abraham's case. He trusted God. And... In trusting God, he was received the gift of righteousness. And then looking at nine through it'll be like sermon. Looking at nine through really thirteen um, is another section. And John, do you mind reading that also? I'm happy to read. <clears throat> is this blessedness then? pronounced only on the circumcised or also on the uncircumcised. We say, 
faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it reckoned to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the ancestor of all who believe without being circumcised and who thus have righteousness reckoned to them. And likewise the ancestor of the circumcised who are not only circumcised but also who follow the example of the faith that our ancestor Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Thank you. Abraham was uncircumcised. It wasn't Abraham was circumcised. And then later on, he believed. You know, it's chapter 15 where I read a second ago about God counted it to him as righteousness, his belief. It's chapter 17, and it's probably at least 14 years later. So it didn't happen immediately. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and, and may multiply you greatly. Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. And then he goes on to talk about the process of circumcision to be not only he's to do it to himself first, to his family, to all that are in his employment manservants to all of them. And at this point in time, Isaac has still not even been born. So the child that he has is Ishmael. And so, but he's telling him that he will make him a nation of many. That's really nations. I mean, the way it was thought of before by the Jews that it was their genetic relationship to Abraham that made them God's chosen, not anything else. And so, you know, Abraham, Paul here is trying to point out to, remember, he's writing to the Roman church that had a, a large number of Gentile believers, as well as, if you will, returning Jewish Christians. Because, I can't think, who was the uh, Caesar emperor before Nero? He kicked all the Jews out. Claudius. Claudius, thank you. So when Claudius died and Nero took over, he allowed the Jews to come back. So they had been drifting back into the church. And so now this conflict was going on about, well, you may be calling yourself a Christian, but you haven't been circumcised, so you got to be circumcised before you can be a Christian. And this was a debate Paul and Peter had had. And, you know, it probably went on in every church that was founded between Jerusalem and Rome and beyond. And Paul 
had not been to Rome, and so he's trying to walk them through the promise and who is and isn't and the fact that you have to be circumcised. Um, and to be a large nation that God had promised to him, to be able to count the stars, you just can't get there. There's not enough multiplication that gets you to that point. And in Hebrews even, the writer of, whether it was Paul or somebody else, we don't know in that letter, it even goes so far to say the grains of sand. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I can comprehend a lot of grains of sand more than I can comprehend a lot of stars because if nothing else, when you look out at night, there's so much light coming up from Earth that just disguises them. But you can go to the beach, any beach, and there's a lot of grains of sand, and that's just a beach. And so what has been promised to Abraham had to be something more than this just genetic family, if you will, that multiplied from him and then Isaac and then Jacob and so on. And so we get there. Paul is saying that the Gentiles were like Abraham. They believed before they were circumcised. And it's not necessary to have that same physical circumcision that they had. Because we looked back in um, the end of 3. Is he not the God of the Gentiles? Yes. Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So God includes the Gentiles. Paul's saying he does. And it's saying the uncircumcised through faith, it's they believe in the gospel message. In the, the life, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. They believe that. And then what does he come in to say, but does that you know, exclude the Jews? No. It's both. You know, and it's go ahead. I'm sorry. Can I answer as question? Uh, the uh, one of the main we've been talking about circumcision and uncircumcision thing, the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. But uh, the the Jews believe in one God, and and the Gentiles generally did not. Right. So if a, if, a gen, if a Jew became a Gentile, uh, if a Jew became a Christian, he was just saying, okay, you know, God sent his son. Uh, but if a Gentile became a Christian, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a much bigger sort of leap of faith to go from, you know, from his position to, to, to being a Christian. Was that, is that part of the, the issue? Well, you know, Abraham had that same. I mean, think about when Abraham, he, he, he was a pagan. Yeah, he was and more or less, he believed in multiple gods. We have to assume because 
to everybody kind of prior to this point believed, you know, while we have pre-Abraham people recognizing God, as I mentioned last week, it talks about God was, was hurt. He felt anger at the way the peop- mankind had become, but he found favor with Noah. And that's how the world was saved at that point in time is through Noah, his three sons, and their wives. And so eight people survived. And here again, God found favor with Noah. It was because of nothing Noah did. God found righteousness or counted as righteousness Abraham's belief and faith in what he said. But Abraham, it came from a pagan world. Well, it's just, it's just kind of interesting to, to think about. I, I've always thought about this kind of controversy as being uh, kind of almost a political sort of thing. You know, the Jews saying, well, we're, we're the chosen people and the Gentiles are not the chosen people. And so, you know, the Messiah came for us and that sort of thing. But it's a little bit more than that. Um, yeah, well, it was, and that was part of the, you know, the, and s- some people would say that where the Jews didn't get it was they thought it was for only them, but they were designated to be, in effect, the messenger of who God was, but they were keeping that knowledge to themselves instead of spreading. And, you know, when Paul was in Athens, there was a God that was, you know, they had a statue or something or at least a place, and it was to the unnamed God. It was like, from their standpoint, they were trying to cover their bases. If there's anybody we forgot, here's who it is. But Paul took it as an opening to say, here's who God is. It's that unnamed God that you don't know about. He is the only God. And there were probably people at that time that probably question all these multiple gods, but they didn't know where to go. Uh, but as Paul and the other apostles spread out and other disciples spread out, they brought a message that people were yearning to hear, just like they are today. And so when they believed, they believed in the gospel message. And we talked some that while the Jews believed in the circumcision that was Abraham was told to do, that was physical. But there's also, we've talked about at times, there's the circumcision of the heart, which we can't see, but that's where the person, whether they be Gentile or Jew, that's where the real sign is. It's not the physical sign, but it's the sign of the heart and where it is. And so when he also then went back, you know, saying that uh, all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised, him, Abraham, of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but he gave a restriction to who it was that were the Jews that it was included, who also walked in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. 
It's not somebody that just says, hey, I am so I am. There's a little bit more there to it than that. And that's what Paul is trying to get them to understand that it was for all. The promise of Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And then we'll talk more like that, but it says uh, there in verse 17, I have made you the father of many nations, not of a group, an ethnic group, a family, a nation, it's plural. And so that's where Paul is trying to get the Romans church and by extension us today to understand here again is that faith that comes through or the righteousness that comes through faith. Thoughts? I think Paul is making a really elegant argument here and it's sort of to, to take the point that Brian was making about the difference between the Jews whose faith was in the law and the Christian church whose faith was in grace. I think Paul is saying that really what predated all of that was faith. Because when when Yahweh called Abraham out of the fertile crescent, there was no law. There was nothing other than Abraham's faith. And when the people of Israel followed um, Joseph's family down to Egypt, they, they had this, this understanding of themselves as, as this, these tribes who followed the patriarch. But it wasn't until God had brought them out of Egypt and began to make them a nation that he gave them the law. And everything before the law was faith. And so I think what's elegant about this argument that Paul is making is that this is not really about an argument between the law and grace. It's an argument about faith. And Faith sets the stage for all of it. If we don't have faith to start with, the law doesn't even, the law as, as God sets it out, doesn't move us. If the law doesn't move us, then the grace that was the, the propitiation of the cross, which he wrote about in chapter 3, doesn't touch us at all. So it's the, it's the faith that was counted to Abraham as righteousness to kick the whole thing off. That's a really, I think that's a, a really elegant way of going at it. Following on that, I mean, it, it was the it was the, the law that made the Jews special. Yes. You know, they had the law and they followed the law, and and uh, it it must have been difficult to explain to, to them that yes the law we're not doing away with the law but the law is still there but this you know grace 
and supplants that or fulfills that. And, and so the, the law is still there, but but we're not talking about you know Jews being special and being the only ones that they have to Right. That's uh, kind of interesting to think about. Right. Well, that was very hard for them, and it's still hard. It's, it's still, I mean, that is a very difficult concept. Yeah. Yeah, I was, um, it was several weeks ago, and I was telling Cindy about it. I was, uh, got my hair done, and I was uh, finished up and paying, and there were two women that were having a conversation they just met, but they were, it, I gathered by the bits of conversation I picked up, they were both Messianic Jews, and they were kind of having this conversation about kind of how they came about it, where they went, and that sort of thing. And I, I really wished I could have just turned and stood and listened because it was quite interesting just to see these two women who had not known each other and somebody had introduced them apparently, and they were having that discussion about, I think one of them had grown up that way and one of them had came in faith on their own. Jew is, is a Christian Jewish person. Okay. They still follow some of their Jewish heritage, but they believe in Christ. We've had, uh, from time to time in, in past years, we've, we've had, uh, here's a Messianic Jewish um, community. Congregation. Or whatever you call it, um, I don't know, um, here in Birmingham. And uh, the, the rabbi that heads that up has, has been here at the Advent several times in the past years. Well, he spoke this year, I think, at Lent Lunch. Did he? Yeah, I think so. Or we had one, I'm pretty sure, this yeah. year. Yeah, but, 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 but it's real interesting to hear there. Uh, the, the, uh, you ever been to one of their services? Um, have you ever been to one of their services? I have. I have. It's, it's, yeah. it's not something a Jew or an Episcopalian would recognize. Really? Really? Oh, yes. It's, oh, yes. It's close to two hours. There's dancing. There's people running up and down the aisles, waving flags and dancing, spiritual dancing. There's a peace in which every person in the church gives peace to every other person in the church. It is very fundamentalist, I don't know, I've never been to a fundamentalist Christian right. service, but it would strike me that that's probably more Was that here in Birmingham? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, actually, um, I think she was only here one year, but uh, my oldest, when he was in the third grade in the day school, his third grade teacher was a Messianic Jew. Now that was the previous uh, rabbi that was Somehow he frothed or sent the last. That's right. Yeah, and he was here this. Right. Yeah. But the sermon was outstanding. Yeah. Absolutely no question anybody would have been moved by the sermon, but the service was something else. It's not. I mean, I, I, I think it's attractive to go back and obey the law. I, I think the law should mean something. That's half of our Bible. I mean, that is our heritage. And yet we do very little to adhere to some of those, those, those rituals. Well, during, the, during Lent, 
we always include the Decalogue in our in our liturgy, which is to re-emphasize the Ten Commandments in the law. And it was always clear in the New Testament that whereas the whereas the aspects of the law that had been superseded no longer bound Christians like you know the, the law of ceremonies and rites and the civil law no longer were were binding they were superseded nevertheless the moral law which is the Ten Commandments remains always because without that moral law as the standard we have no context in which to understand the grace that is imputed righteousness because we can never we can never aspire on our own merit to reach the standard established by the moral law. We have to we, we are we are our, our by our faith we are it is treated as righteousness, just like with Abraham. Well, you know, if the if looking back at the latter part of chapter three is it talks about, you know, one is justified by faith in verse 28, but then in verse uh, 31, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And even Christ said, I didn't come to replace the law and the prophets, but I came to fulfill. Not one jot or tittle shall pass away. What did you say? He said, not one jot or tittle of the law shall pass away. Meaning, even the tiniest little, most insignificant, that's a reference, jot and tittle is a reference to Hebrew writing. And he was saying, even the least, the tiniest little flourishes in the law will not pass away. If they, are, if they are not superseded, they are fulfilled through Christ. It does seem this issue of circumcision created the big, I mean, there's a lot of time spent on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> These letters. So it was obviously, I think it was not exactly political, it was a religious, and the Jews saw that as being a major commitment that Abraham was unequivocal, I mean, God was unequivocal with Abraham about. And did Christ ever anywhere say, we're doing away with that? And Paul just, I thought, made this up whole cloth. <laughs> But to, to get everybody under the same tent, he had to come up with this elegant, and, and we believe it as Christians, elegant theme, but it is a shame that that, I mean, I guess he had to. I mean, there was no way to get this vast body of the nations well, to all undergo it. in Acts is the same as we see in addressing it here. Uh, several places in Acts, the... Uh, those believers who believe that it, before becoming a Christian one had to become a Jew first and be circumcised and those those Christians who insisted that um, remember when, when Paul was addressing the church about if certain among you are offended by, uh, by the consumption of food that isn't kosher then by, by, by all means only eat kosher food. Don't let things like that interfere. But there was this divide in the church between the um, the it was called the Hellenists on the one hand and the uh, the Jews on the other. That is the the, the, 
the part of the early church that was grounded in Judaism and the part of the early church that was was Gentile. They were hell they were just they were not Jews. And so Paul's address here, I think, is to make everybody understand the right context for the law and the right context for um, for those who previously were outside the law. And that's that's the big fight in the early church. But I think he's right. I don't think he's just making a a really clever argument to get them to, to everybody see themselves as one tent. He's pointing to scripture that says before there was law, there was faith. And and he even wrote in chapter one and in chapter two that even among Gentiles they had the law written on their hearts. So that when God gave the law it was his if you will, almost like to codify something which was in our human nature because we were made in God's image. We understand intrinsically, small children understand intrinsically the concept of law. You know, when they fight over their possessions and run to mom and say, he stole my toy. Mm-hmm. That's, there's a, an appeal from justice that's based in the law and that law was written in that child's heart. Well, we also have to remember, too, who's writing this letter? Paul. Of the early church leaders, who was the most Jewish? Paul. He was the Pharisee. It gives him credibility. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right. Right. He's got stroke. Anyway, well, y'all have a great week. We'll, uh, I say we. John will be here um, next week. I'll be on the road. uh, Steve's going to see John. I'm going to see John. So uh, take care and have a great week. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Great, great.